Amen. All right. Hey, how many guys realize that there's some positive side effects of going to a church service? Please, somebody raise your hand. Okay, phew, I was sweating bowls there for a second. But, uh, you know, one of the th- interesting things I noticed that uh, going to a church service, right, is sometimes, you know, you get to meet a lot of interesting people. Have you noticed that? In fact, turn to somebody and say, hey, man, you are interesting. Go ahead. It, it feels pretty good, right? And uh, what I've noticed in ministry is because you're surrounded by so many interesting people in church services, that means sometimes you do some interesting things in church services. Have you noticed that? And, and try as we might, trying to get these services to run smoothly with Tom and Sandy and Ken and I and stuff, we, we say some pretty interesting things and do interesting things in the church, okay? And to prove that, believe it or not, I know it's a shocker by me, but uh, I've been keeping a list of some interesting bloopers printed in church bulletins, okay? Not here, apparently. It was some church down south or whatever, but let's take a look if we Christians can do some interesting bloopers once in a while. But these are actually printed, I'm not joking, in church bulletins. Let's take a look at this first one. Hey, don't let worry kill you. Let the church help. Huh? <laughs> Apparently we do a much better job. We're good at it. I'd say, here's another one. Hey, Thursday night, potluck supper, prayer, and medication to follow. <laughs> you know it was chicken. You know it was, right? Uh, let's go. Hey, remember in prayer, the many who are sick of our church and community. Okay, I think it's supposed to be sick in our church. But uh, spell check. Uh, anyway, hey, at the evening service tonight, the sermon topic will be, what is hell? Come early and listen to our choir practice. <laughs> that ain't funny. Ken's doing a great job. What are you guys? I can't believe you guys. But anyway, let's move on. Uh, but these are actually church bulletins, right? Hey, scouts are saving aluminum cans, bottles, and other items to be recycled. Proceeds will be used to cripple children. <laughs> you don't want to get involved in that fundraiser. Uh, how about four crippled children? Hey, ushers will eat latecomers. That's right. You better get here on time. We take this serious. I think it's supposed to be greet latecomers, but anyway, let's move on. Hey, the church is glad to have with us today is our guest minister, the Reverend Green, who has Mrs. Green with him. After the service, we request that all remain in the sanctuary for the hanging of the greens. <laughs> Preached in a lot of places. Don't want to preach there. That's just too tough. Hey, Weight Watchers will meet at 7 p.m. Please use the large double door at the side entrance. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> now to get them motivated. Here's one. Hey, a bean supper will be held Saturday evening in the church basement. Music will follow. <laughs> what? You got it. Come on. You got to be joking me. Hey, hey, this being Easter Sunday, we're going to ask Mrs. Smith to come forward and lay an egg on the altar. That's right. You don't want to miss that one. This is Vegas. Woo. That's right. Uh, but here's another one. Hey, the peacemaking meeting scheduled for today has been canceled due to a conflict. <laughs> Wrong time to cancel the media. Are you serious? Hey, fifth Sunday's Lent. Thank you, dead friends. I'm not even touching that one. What, what was that? Hey, ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of those things not worth keeping around the house. Don't forget your husbands. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Well, that's right. My all-time favorite is this one. Bertha Belch, a missionary from Africa, will be speaking tonight at Calvary Memorial Church in Racine. Come tonight and hear Bertha Belch all the way from Africa. <laughs> Had to have been root beer, man. I don't know. That's the only way you can get them that loud. <clears throat> but as you guys can see, I mean, let's be honest, man. We Christians, we can do some pretty goofy things, right? We can, we can say some bloopers and things of that nature. But I don't know about you, but to me, probably the biggest blooper of all that we could ever make as Christians would have to be this. It would have to be for people to come and join us for services. And of all days on Easter or Resurrection Day, and these same people leave not knowing what it's really all about. That's got to be the biggest blooper of all. And I say that because, I don't know if you've noticed this trend, some people come to traditional church services like Christmas and Easter, Resurrection Day, simply out of tradition. 
and they have no idea. It's just something you do. Easter seems to be, Resurrection Day seems to be one of those days. In fact, if you don't believe me, I've created a little visual test. Let's see if we, even here at Sunrise, do we really understand the true meaning of Resurrection Day? Why are we really here to celebrate? Let's take a look at some different opinions. You know, if you ask the average person today in the American church that Resurrection Day, they say it's all about getting a new bonnet for your head. You know what I'm saying? That's what it's all about. You got to get that thing and... But folks, if you read the Bible, didn't it say it's about Jesus being given a crown of thorns on his head? I, I, I mean, do you guys see a bonnet here? Or no, 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 maybe, maybe there's a bonnet over. No, no, that's not it. No, you ask some folks, hey, what's Resurrection Day all about? Say, no, it's about getting a big old bag of candy. It's all about the candy, man. Do you big candy, big style. Of candy? Really? Well, folks, doesn't the Bible say it's about Jesus bearing the cross for the sins of humanity? I, I mean, do you see a bag of candy here? Well, maybe there's a bag of candy over here. No, I don't see one either. No, no, you ask me, here it is. This is what it is. Some people, you ask me, hey, what's this day really all about, right? It's about getting a big old giant bunny. And not just a bunny, but one hopefully drenched in chocolate, right? A big old chocolate bunny. Well, folks, isn't it about Jesus on the cross dripping with blood for the forgiveness of all of our sins? I mean, do you guys see a bunny here? No, how about a rabbit? Maybe there's a rabbit behind there. He's hiding behind there doing something. Folks, here's the whole point. Let's be serious. Can you imagine what Jesus thinks of this? Because we've been seeing our character of God study right out of the gates. What we say, God is omnipresent. He sees everything. And I don't know about you, but folks, that's a blooper. That's the biggest blooper of all. And I don't know about you, but let's be honest. I'd say God's not too pleased if that's what we're doing. If that's all we're doing with his son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's resurrection day. What in the world's going on? And therefore, if we're not going to commit another serious blooper with his holiday. By the way, holidays come from two words, holy day. It's supposed to be a holy day. Okay, if we're not going to commit that same blooper, I think we need to remind ourselves what it's really all about. Why are we here today? Why do we go to church services, Christmas certainly, but why Easter, literally Resurrection Day? What is the true message of this holiday? Well, folks, if you read the Bible, and that's what we're supposed to do, uh, I think it's pretty clear. The reason why we are here to celebrate this holy day is because this is the day that we remember when Jesus Christ rose again from the grave to give you and I a life. Okay, but don't take my word for it. Let's listen to him. He tells us why he came, folks. And it wasn't start a, a dry, stale, man-made religion. He came to give us life. John chapter 10 is our opening text. John chapter 10. Let's take a look here. If you find John, what do you do? Shake his hand because he's wearing a cool suit. Tell him to sit down and turn to chapter 10. That's right. Uh, John chapter 10. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. Now, Jesus, of course, is speaking here. And he's going to tell us, folks, why did he come? What's the whole purpose? Was it just to start another religion? I don't think so. We don't need any more religions. Hello. Okay. He came for a wonderful relationship with you and I to give us a fantastic life. And that's what we're going to see. But here's what he says. John 10, 1 through 10. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Well, of course, Jesus doesn't lie. Amen. He is the truth. I tell you the truth. The man does not enter who does not enter uh, the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way. He's a thief and a robber. But the man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Now, Jesus used this figure of speech, this story, this parable, but they didn't understand what he was telling them. So he basically tells them what it's about. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, guess what? Who's the gate? Jesus, I am the gate. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Uh, for the sheep, all who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. He says it a second time. Whoever enters through me will be what? 
saved. How do you get saved? How do you get rescued from hell? How do you get to go to heaven? Who's saying this? Jesus. It's only through Jesus, right? Period. And he says, though, here's the issue. He will come in and go out and you're going to find pasture. It's a great life. But here's the alternative, though. The thief, though, comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come, listen, that they may not just have life, but what? And have it to the full or abundant, depending on your translation uh, that's used there. But here we see the classic text, folks, where Jesus tells us basically we got some good news and we got some bad news. And there towards the end, he tells us, folks, the bad news that this is real. Spiritual warfare is real. That Satan is real. Even though 65% of the professing American church today does not believe in a literal Satan, Jesus said, uh-uh, don't think so. There really is an enemy out there whose sole purpose is to steal, to kill, and to destroy people's lives. I didn't say he did. Now, that's the bad news. The good news, though, is, praise God, God cares enough to intervene, amen? And this is what he says here. Jesus said, listen, he came not to just give us a life. Right? Not to just take us out to pasture. Right? He came to not just give us a life, but it says they're a full one. Now, you still don't get the full uh, deal of what's going on here until you get into the Greek. In the Greek, here's what he literally says. It's not just a life. It's not just a full life. Listen, in the Greek, it's this. A super exceeding, mind-blowing, over-the-top, abundant kind of life. Now, let me, let, me, let, me, let me say that again. It's not just a life. It's not just a full life. Jesus said he has come. Contrary to the enemy who wants to destroy, Jesus has come to give us, his sheep, a super abundant, mind-blowing, over-the-top, abundant kind of life. This is why he died on the cross. This is why he rose from the grave. He did not come to start another new religion on the planet. Right? He came to establish a relationship. He didn't come to make bad people better. Because you cannot earn your way into heaven. He came to give you and I, dead people, life. A super abundant, mind-blowing, over-the-top kind of life. Okay? And when Jesus says abundant, folks, he means abundant. He tells the truth, okay? And so just as we saw Jesus told a story, a parable, to explain the spiritual truth, right? That's what I want to do today. I'm going to tell you a story to hopefully explain this aspect of the spiritual truth. What does this super exceedingly abundantly over the top mind-blowing life from Jesus look like? And so I want to share with you guys, for those of you who haven't heard it, this is how I was able to get a life from Jesus Christ. Now, my family had nothing to do with Christianity or church services or anything of that nature. And uh, we grew up in the Kansas, kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And and uh, frankly, my conception of Christianity was basically what the media told you to think about Christians, right? Christians are great and wonderful, aren't they? Isn't that what the media says? No. Christians are a bunch of dumb, duped idiots that had to have a book tell them what to do, right? And, and that was my conception, okay? I, I was much more smarter than that, thank you very much. In fact, I thought the Bible was just some religious book whooped up by man to brainwash you, right? Have you heard that from people? I used to be one of those, okay? In fact, I kid you not, when my sister Terry, she was the only Christian for many, many, many years in my family, Right? And then uh, uh, she had uh, shared that she had gotten saved, right? And she witnessed with John 3.16 and letters and stuff. This is pre-internet days and stuff. And I'm, I, I kid you not, I remember getting that letter when she was saying that she became a born-again Christian. I, I'm not joking. I literally became sick to my stomach. I was so, I'm the youngest of four, and she was my oldest sister. And, and I, was, I was sick. I was so disappointed. I was so mad at her. How could you let those people brainwash you? You're a crone. You're much smarter than that. How could you literally just, I had such a disdain for Christians and Christianity. 
Now, the irony is, I'm hoping you guys have realized this too, but only after being saved did I realize that <laughs> the enemy's slick, isn't he? This is the only book on the planet that unbrainwashes us from the brainwashing of this world. Right? No wonder he doesn't want you in there. Oh, you get on the internet, you get on Facebook, you read that newspaper, you do anything but read the Bible. But that was my conception back then. You know, Christians are a bunch of dumb idiots. And my, and my parents, you know, they, I don't know if it was a spinoff from the 60s or the liberal movement or whatever, but they decided that uh, they weren't going to interfere with our religious upbringing as kids, that they wanted us to make that decisions. And now, having been there, done that, in a family of that, can I tell you as parents today, that's one of the dumbest things you could ever do. That's one of the dumbest things you could ever do. You better influence your kids while you got them. The world out there is not some neutral ground. There's all kinds of false teaching, horrible teachings, rotten teachings that are there out there to snatch your kids up. And we're out in the middle of nowhere in Kansas. Right? A lot of people say, well, I'm going to go to a small town. I'm going to hide away and keep... No. You got the internet. You got TV. You let your kids listen to music. All, all this. You go to secular school. All this stuff is out there sucking your kids up. So as a parent, you are charged of God to bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. You better influence your kids, Christian well, you got him. You have to be deliberate about it. But that's why, so we were just lost as a goose. I hated Christians, thought they were a bunch of dumb idiots, right? That was my upbringing. No church background, what have you. And uh, my family, you know, was in turmoil at that time. I was in uh, about the sixth grade at that time. And, and my mom went off to work. And if you guys were here for that first uh, message on the character of God study we just started, okay, I, I told you the story about me as this little sixth grader, right? Just being frustrated and, and my, my family's life, everything was in turmoil and, and my mom went to work, left all of us kids at home alone and, and which my siblings immediately, uh, again, I'm the youngest of four, they got into uh, drugs and immorality and stuff and I, I was holding out as a little sixth grader. I didn't want to go down that route. I was watching it destroy my family. But I didn't have any answers. Nobody was telling me about Jesus. I'm lost. I'm all by myself. And so I started marching around the house. Remember the story? For about, about a couple hours, and I said, God, if you're real, send the lightning bolt. God, if you're real, send the lightning bolt. I just needed to know that there was hope. Well, I didn't feel like I got an answer from God back then, if you guys recall the story. And, and, uh, and here's the irony. Back then, I don't know if the stats are true today, but back then, did you know, if I got my stats right, I grew up in, again, southeast Kansas, and in that area uh, has apparently more churches per capita per the population than anywhere in the United States. Do I ever remember somebody telling me about Jesus? Maybe my heart was hard. I'm sure it was. But folks, I don't remember. More churches than anywhere in the United States per capita of the population. And nobody is telling me about Jesus. Do churches get to the point where they get so inclusive they stop sharing the gospel? Do churches today get to the point where they don't even have altar calls anymore? Folks, that's going on today. And people are dying and going to hell. How dare we keep our mouths shut? So nobody's telling me about Jesus. I'm lost as a goose. My family's in turmoil. I don't know anything. So basically from the time I was 15 to the time I was 25, I made good on my vow to be an atheist because I shook a fist at God in the sky. Fine, God, I'm an atheist. After I was marching around the house there. And so it was the 1980s and I, you know, lived a life of sex, drugs, rock and roll. And I committed uh, sexual immorality. I gave up my virginity when I was 15. And I began to do whatever else was doing. I began to use alcohol and marijuana and speed and basically quickly became the poster child for a womanizing, selfish, self-centered, male chauvinist pig. <laughs> yes, ladies, there's hope. Uh, but anyway, but with this kind of life, and that's, that's what, that was my path. I, I had no direction. Nobody's telling me about Jesus. So obviously things began to go downhill uh, pretty fast. Also at this time, I was into, you know, it's the 80s, so I was in the heavy metal music and the things of that nature. So I began to do what the music tells you to do. And folks, I tell people this all the time. Are you kidding me? You better pay attention to the music. 
All it is is sin and rottenness put to music. I'll just listen to it for the beat. Excuse me, if I were to sit there and repeat to you, hey, do this sin, hey, do this sin, hey, do this sin, hey, do this sin, is that good for you? All right, if I did the same thing with music, hey, do this sin, hey, do this sin, hey, do this sin, is that good for you? No, so give me a break. But if you know anything about that movement, and they're not the only ones that isn't just rock and roll music, hello, pop music, the whole, they're all infected with this stuff. I started doing you know, what the music said to do, and that's that you know, God's not real, right? You need to you know, draw close to Satan and demons and start flirting with that stuff, and boy, did we ever. And things got dark pretty fast. Some folks there in my hometown uh, at a party one time, it's a two-story house, and they're partying, everybody's getting drunk and stuff down below the first party, and all of a sudden, hey, where's so-and-so, this one girl? So the owner of the house goes upstairs uh, into the bathroom, and she opens up the door. She's there, this other girl, the missing girl, and she's actually on the floor. She had drawn a pentagram, and she's literally conjuring up demons back in it. Obviously, it's a little scary, right? So everybody's coming, you know, you know, and literally the apparitions are coming down the stairs and stuff. Folks, this is real. How many times have I said from the pulpit, if God would open our spiritual eyes just for 24 hours to see what's really out there, we would change Christian just like that. But I don't even think we could handle 24 hours. So anyway, so that's what I was doing. I had no direction. started flirting with that stuff. And, and, and at that point, I, I, I took it serious. I took it to heart, right? And uh, I was at my house one day, empty, lost as a goose, no direction. And I literally, from the second story window, I remember I can still see it in my mind's eye, so to speak. And I'm looking out in the yard, and I literally, I cried out to somebody, all right? I cried out to Satan. And I said, Satan, if you want this life, you can have it. Just give me power and give me significance. Two things I ask for. Okay? And uh, it, it was just empty. And, and, and again, so, so you, know, you know, this is the lie too. Right? Because, oh, that's pretty serious, Pastor Billy. That's, you know, you know, uh, you know uh, but, you know, for me, I'm just in this neutral ground, right? You know, we, we play that game. But, you know, it's a lie, right? See, see I, I, I thought I was making this pact with Satan, but he already had me. Have you read the Bible? Right? There is no neutral ground, right? You can't say, well, hey, I'm not one of those crazy, wacky, born-again, Christian-like people like Mario. But at the same time, I'm not like, you know, Pastor Billy involved in Satanism and stuff. I, I'm just in this mystical, magical, neutral ground, and I haven't made up my mind. That's a lie from the pit of hell. The Bible's very clear. You're either serving God, you either belong to God, or you belong to the devil. He's already got you unless you're a born-again Christian. But I don't know, so I'm sitting there, I'm just making this pact with Satan. And to show you what kind of a character he is... Within a short amount of time of that pact with him, uh, I tried to OD twice, and uh, that didn't work. Uh, shot myself uh, once uh, here in the chest with a 22 rifle. Still got the scars. Kids still ask about that today. And uh, to be honest with you, I didn't want to die. I didn't want to die. And I'm not that bad of a shot. I purposely shot myself on this side of the chest. If I wanted to die, I'd do it above the heart. Folks, that, that was my way in the depths of my despair. I just wanted somebody to know I'm dying on the inside. And I got no answers, and nobody is telling me about Jesus. And then shortly after that, as bad as that was, uh, uh, after uh, high school, a friend of mine, he died. And that's when I began to get curious about life after death, right? There's got to be more to life than this, right? And things of that nature. It was a friend of mine, Lauren, and uh, one of my partying buddies. And, and uh, you know, it's the 80s. He had this trans, and those were in, you know, the T-tops. And uh, so he pulls up in this uh, gas station. This little, I lived in this little blinky light town, right? One light. Maybe 2,000 people if the wind was blowing the right direction, right? Just on this one little convenient gas station. He pulls up there in his Trans Am. I'm coming out. He says, hey, I'm going to the bar. You want to go? Hey, you believe you me? I would have gone lickety split. But I didn't have any money. 
And uh, so I said no. Well, the next day I get a phone call from my other friend, and Lauren's dead. And I should have been there. And he went to the bar that night and did what we always do when we went to the bar, got drunk. But this time, he rolled his Trans Am into a ditch and broke his neck. And still, even then, I went with another friend. And a couple days later, I'm at his funeral, right? And still, you know, these guys are being bravado. We're yucking it up, <laughs> you know, drinking, getting drunk on the way to his funeral. And I've never seen anything like this before. In all the years now, as uh, being a Christian and a pastor and having done so many funerals now myself, I've never seen anything like this. And we went to his funeral, and we're yucking it up, and we open up the door into literally the entrance. We're not in the sanctuary. This is the literal entrance. You open the door, the foyer, whatever, and right smack dab right there is the open casket. And they tried their best to fix him up, but he was still kind of messed up. And I saw that. You couldn't avoid it. I don't know if it was for shock value, but it shocked me. And I literally wept and cried for about three hours like a little baby. Because when I saw him there dead in the casket, the phrase went through my head, what's going to happen, not if, but when you die? And I had no answers. And nobody's telling me about Jesus. And can I tell you something that's ironic? Even at that funeral, I don't recall anybody telling me about Jesus. At a, at a funeral, you don't say nothing about what's going on. And so I leave that place, and I'm just, man, it's just getting dark. It's hopeless. I still have no answers. And again, the funny thing, my so-called, oh, did you know I hung out with so-called Christians? You know, those folks that were doing the same simple, rotten things I was doing, right? But, but on the weekends, guess what they were doing? If they weren't too drunk or hungover, they go to church services. And the loud message they were sending to me when I finally started getting interested in spiritual things, and this is why I had a serious disdain for Christianity, the loud message they were sending to me, they didn't tell me about Jesus that I recall, but the message they were sending to me with their duplicit life was Christianity doesn't work. Because I don't see nothing changing in you. You live just like me. Christian, we may be the only Bible somebody else might see. Don't be like that. Don't be like that. And so I, I, so things are going downhill, and, and, and of course, it fueled my hatred towards Christianity, this kind of behavior, and I decided, you know what, I need to change. And, and frankly, it wasn't even I that decided that, because I'm going downhill fast. I probably should have been dead and straight in hell, right? Because it just kept getting darker and darker and darker. My brother literally came in 1987. I graduated in 85. He came from, he, he went out to California. He's four years older than me. He was out there going to tech school, staying with some family. He literally drove back from California, paid for everything, took me all, he literally rescued me. My older brother, Jim, he, he rescued me from uh, that. And, and literally, I thought, well, okay, you know what? You know, it was the headbanger days, right? The hair. I said, you know what I need to do? I, I, I have no answers. Nobody said about Jesus, but there's, I, I, what, what's going to happen when I die? I got this hole in my heart. There's got to be more to life. And I thought, well, I'll do what the world says. And as a rebel, I really didn't want to. But I had no choice. Right? And so I, I decided, you know, I need to reform myself, right? And maybe this is how I'm going to get a life, right? And so maybe I just need to cut my hair. I need to conform. I need to reform, right? I need to become a good citizen, right? I, I, I was so desperate I'd try anything, right? And so I did. I, I played the game. All the dangling carrots in society says, here's how you get alive, right? A full one, super exceedingly abundant, right? And the first one they always throw out there, you've heard this one, how are you going to get alive? Society says, oh, you just need to get an education. That's right. That's the cure-all. If you just get an education, life will be great. Don't tell me about the student loans. Oh, who said that? So I did that. That's what society says, right? Nobody's telling me about Jesus. I got to try something. 
And so I immediately jumped on the bandwagon. I was hoping this was going to fill the hole in my heart, and, and I, I began to educate myself. And, and soon I graduated from electronic school there, and I, uh, tech school with my brother. I'm off to secular college. I'm majoring in English and philosophy, and, and uh, you know, I was going to write books and teach somewhere and stuff of that nature. And, and, and please don't misunderstand me. I am not against education. Education is important. I've spent about 21 years being educated in various institutions. But you can still ask my wife, I still haven't learned how to take out the trash. Right? <laughs> Education's important. I get that. But here's my point. That's not what society's saying. They said your life will be complete. Nobody will make you complete except Jesus. And, and so I had to learn the hard way. It didn't take me long to figure out education as good as it is. I don't care how many degrees you got. Degrees can't fill a hole in your heart. So I, I thought, well, there's got to be something else. So I, so I tried the second way that society says, here's how you get a life. And that's through a relationship. Huh? If it's that special person, they'll fill that hole in your heart. No, they won't. Okay? And so I'm not a Christian at this point. I don't know anything about Jesus, right? I don't have a relationship with him. And, and so I said, well, maybe that's what I need. Maybe I need a relationship, right? And so I didn't want to do it God's way, and I didn't want to get married, so I did the sinful way. And I, I lived with a woman off and on for five years, uh, which was bad enough, uh, violating God's marriage covenant. But then I committed fornication, uh, violating her. Uh, ladies, don't you ever compromise. You need to get a real man who would do it God's way. Because if he ain't doing it God's way now, you're fooling yourself that he's going to do it later. We need godly men in America. Do it God's way. But I wasn't Christian, so I didn't know. And so I thought, well, maybe settling down, having a relationship, owning some nice things. You know, the so-called American dream, you know? Maybe that's uh, uh, what would make me happy. So I'm 21 years old. And I kid you not, I'm trying this stuff, right? The American dream. Right? Getting some stuff, got a relationship, we got our own pad, right? And I called it hitting the wall. I'm 21 years old, okay? And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. This is it. I wasn't even saved yet. I still had six years to go. And I came to that realization, this is life. This is, all, this is why I exist. You grow up to get an education, to get a job, to get a relationship, to buy some stuff and die. Woo! It was a horrid realization. I wasn't even saved yet. One guy, we've shared this before, but he puts it this way. This is awesome. He says, our so-called American way of life is based upon people who are ready to spend money they don't have to buy things they don't need to impress people they don't know, who in the end are people who don't even care. And he says, in proof of this, just think about last Christmas. He said, your biggest problem wasn't figuring out where you would get enough money to buy presents for family and friends. Instead, it was trying to figure out what do you buy for people who already have everything. He said, the answer to that problem should have been self-evident. What should you buy for those who have everything is Nothing. He said, but you didn't have the guts to pull it off, did you? No. He says, instead, you went up and down the aisles of the department stores having anxiety attacks, panic-stricken. You searched, yea, even prayed that somebody somewhere invented some new things that nobody needs so you can buy them for people who already have everything. He says, now the tragedy of this is it takes a lot of money to buy all these things that nobody needs, and in order to get that money, most of us neglect what's really important. Relationships. We don't have time for meaningful relationships. We don't have time to relate because it takes most of our time working at jobs that most of us dislike. Why? Just so we can have enough money to get all these things that nobody needs. This is the American dream. It's a nightmare. I wasn't even saved yet. And I realized, you've got to be kidding me. This is what life's all about? So again, disappointed. And again, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying every good Christian is a poor Christian. You can't own stuff. I'm not saying that. 
Okay? I'm not saying that uh, you can't, uh, unless, of course, things become your God. That's called idolatry. And, and, and I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with having a relationship. The right way, God's way. He'll bless that. But even back then, I soon learned that not even a so-called relationship, not even the so-called American dream, they can't fill a hole in your heart. Only Jesus can. So I kept going. I said, okay, well, that ain't working. So now what are you going to do? Well, society's got a bunch of carrots out there dangling, don't they? The enemy. Right? No, okay, that didn't work. Try this. Guaranteed. Right? And, and the third one's this. Hey, I'll even, you guys know this one's true. Life would be great if you only had enough money. You've heard the lie. Isn't that it? Oh, oh, if you just had enough money, all your problems go away. Are you kidding me? And believe it or not, I actually had a little taste of that, if you will, the good life. Uh, again, I was 21. I was doing construction at the time, making lots of money. This was the late 80s. Didn't cost like it costs today. And so back then, I'm actually making about 25, 30 bucks an hour, right? And I don't have like car payments or none of that stuff. I got money coming to my ears. My biggest concern back then literally was this. Every single week you get the paycheck, what do you want? And when I say what do you want, it's like what do you want? Not just a piece of a stereo uh, entertainment center, the whole thing. What do you want next week? You want a whole thing of furniture? What do you want? And so I, I've been there at that point, okay? And then I remember after a while, right, because you get that new entertainment center and it's like, hey, this is cool, it's exciting, and then the newness goes away. Right, you get that new furniture, <sighs> wow, this smells great. This isn't this, oven, and then the, you spill stuff on it. Right? And all that stuff. And I remember even back then, I wasn't even saved yet. I'm going, man, this is no different than the drug culture. Except this is acceptable because it works well for the economy. Right? It's called materialism. The Bible calls it idolatry. You get your high from things. Right? I thought, man, this is no different than drugs, right? And when you start drugs, you start off a little, but then your tolerance level goes up, so you got to do more drugs to get another high. It's the same thing. Oh, that couch isn't good enough. I got to have a bigger one. Oh, your home's perfectly fine. No, no, you got to have a bigger one. Right? Those 18 pairs of socks, that ain't good enough. I gotta have these. I gotta have this. I gotta... I mean, this is just like being addicted to drugs and how hopeless that is. Right? And so, so I, I did all that stuff. And, and so uh, that's what I began to do. And so that wasn't working. All these things, having money and all that stuff. And so what does a 21 year old do? Uh, you've already bought all the stuff that the commercials say. I mean, you've seen the commercials. Drive this car, you'll be popular. No, it doesn't work for those of you. I'm sorry to burst your bubble. <laughs> Wear these pants and you'll be cool. Drink this stuff, you'll be awesome. The ladies will flock after you if you do it. So what do you do after you've done all that stuff and it doesn't work, obviously, because it's a lie? you still got tons of money lying around with no answers to life. What do you do? Well, that's when you usually hit the stage where I did, and that's like basically eat, drink, party, and die. Right? You start appeasing the flesh. And that's what I did, man. I started using lots of drugs because I got tons of money for stuff. And not that I wasn't using them before. I was, but man, I can really do it now. Alcohol, crank, coke, weed, speed, mushrooms, you name it. And at this time, I was actually courting the uh, heavy metal bar scene. Looking pretty cool. Try not to applaud too loud. But uh, here's a picture with me. Um, the blonde-haired dude on the right. And uh, that's my buddy James over there. And, uh, but uh, uh, last time I saw James uh, physically... I've talked to him since then, but the last time I saw James, he was literally twitching on the floor about ready to OD on crank. I thought he was going to die. And I since learned that after being a Christian that he's now born again and he's in Texas. So praise God, he's had mercy on both of us. Okay. But uh, that was back there in the middle days. And yes, that's right. I'm wearing a mullet. Mullet time. Hey, Ken's getting closer. He's starting to part closer towards the middle. I see it, buddy. I know it's coming. And uh, here's me with my sisters down in San Francisco, the California Academy of Science, uh, blonde dude on the left. And that's right. Ho, ho, ho. What a dork, don't you know? Uh, that's me. The Christmas before I got saved, went back to my uh, natural hair color. 
uh, with that exciting picture there. Uh, and it was here, I thought, well, hey, if you've got enough money to do whatever you want, please yourself as many different ways, that's going to fill the hole in the heart. That's what's going to make you happy. Because we all know it's working out great for the Hollywood elites. Yeah, how many marriages are you on now? How many drugs are you on just to cope with life? You destroyed, you die early. Oh yeah, how the money fixes everything. I've shared the story before. George Valdez, uh, coming clean, is his testimony. He had more money than you and I could ever shake a stick at. He was the guy who was actually responsible for bringing cocaine into the United States. He was the big guy. And he had so much money with that illegal wrong behavior that he literally, his biggest worry every day was, do I drive the Lamborghini, do I drive the Mercedes? In fact, he hated to travel with clothes, he said. Didn't want to do any luggage. And he lived in these palatial, I mean palatial places all over the world. And so he hated uh, luggage, so he would literally have each home stocked with brand new fresh clothes. And yet in his testimony, right before he came to Jesus Christ, because somebody witnessed to him, hello, somebody told him about Jesus. Even him, at the threat of their life, he says he, he, he would, his daughter would knock on his bedroom door and say, Daddy, Daddy, what are you doing there? He says, and I got a gun in my mouth ready to end it all because it's so hopeless. Money is not the answer. How many testimonies besides mine do we have to see every day before we stop going down that lie? But money can't fill the hole in your heart. So I remember I hit the fourth one. And this one was really hard to get to because it was just like, oh, no. It was like a last resort. And you've heard about, you got to get religion, right? Because nothing's working, man. Nobody's telling you about Jesus. you got religion, right? And again, it was like a last resort because you, you've heard people say this, right? You know, you're at work, right? And you got these coworkers, and one of them's going through a hard time. Next thing you know, they come and they start dressing like John in a suit or something. And, and you start whispering about them and gossiping. And say, hey, hey, you heard about, you heard about Mario. You know, he was going through those hard times, remember? And all of a sudden, he got religion. <laughs> like it's some sort of disease, right? Remember that? And, and that's how I, I, I thought of it was. And, and so believe you me, uh, I didn't want to go down this route, but it was like a last resort. Now, Christianity, as we know, is not a religion, is it? It's a relationship, but do we treat it that way? Remember the guys that I hung out with? Shoved me away because it was a religion to them. And so, so I started getting interested in, quote, religion. I wasn't going to go down that route. And, and, of course, people still weren't telling me about Jesus. But one day, I actually did have two people witness to me. Can you believe that? It was, it was, it was wild. Uh, one was one of my roommates, and he introduced me uh, to the Satanic Bible, Anton LaVey, and got me involved in that and with doing the rituals and things of that nature. Another guy, another coworker, he introduced me to the New Age religion which is basically, again, occult stuff, but sampling a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little cafeteria, you get to be God, you get to decide what's true in reality. And, and I, I remember like, where was the Christian? Where was the Christian at this time? I, I mean, at least these two, albeit wrong, severely wrong, they cared enough to share with me what they felt was true. So I started doing the rituals that it says to do to get power and things, uh, uh, with Satanism and stuff, and I started going into New Age and stuff, and things actually began to manifest at that point. Um, the lady I told you that we used to room with, and uh, even she would see it too, and there's uh, black apparitions, demonic uh, beings would actually uh, uh, show up. Uh, one, we'd always see out of the corner of our eyes. It happened so much, we just, oh, that's Harry. It was just a common experience, okay? All right? And I can honestly say that, especially through New Age, I tried virtually every religion, religion 
on the planet. I tried Buddhism, Hinduism, shamanism, Satanism, witchcraft, self-help, secular psychology, on and on, but nothing worked. Right? And so I, I would just pick one, because that's what she gets to do in New Age. You get to decide what's right and wrong. Isn't that the life of Satan in the Garden of Eden? You will be like God, knowing good from evil. Who gets to decide? It's, it's a satanic thing. And so, so I, you know, I said, well, hey, all right, let's try Buddhism. Maybe they've got the answer. And so I was serious about it. I'd go down that route and I'd do all the things they say you're supposed to do, right? And, all, and, and it just didn't work, right? And I said, well, I'll forget that. Let's try Eastern mysticism. Go down Hinduism. Let's try that religion. Maybe they got the answer. No, that didn't work. All right, let me just do it myself. Let's get into this self-help. Let's, do, let's try secular psychology. Maybe Freud had it right. It, all this stuff, it never worked. Now, granted, anything new when you first started is intellectually stimulating, but it never delivered. It never satisfied. It always left you with a... Something's missing. It's on the tip of your tongue. It's just, it, it's, that hole's still there. Nothing is satisfying. And so I literally tried pretty much everything under the sun except for Christianity. And I studied at that point uh, volumes and volumes of New Age material. Uh, for about three years, I really kept hard on that particular trail. And uh, I was preparing at that time, before I got saved, what would have been my first book, uh, book I was going to call The Transcending Force. Yeah. I thought it was cool. And it was also at that time into computers, I was actually writing uh, from scratch a computer program, a new age program that would randomly generate uh, new age false teaching sayings on people's desktops. And, and that's right, to help commune with the forces out there, i.e. demons, I started using lots of uh, LSD and psychotropic drugs. And I started getting into altered states of consciousness because that's what they're told you're supposed to do to connect with these. You know, you know, don't call them demons because people won't do it. Just call it higher power, right? You're your, your spirit guide, or an angel, or a UFO space brother. Anything but a demon, but that's all what it is. And, and you could do that, again, not just through drugs. We saw this Wednesday night, and this was what I was doing. You could do it through meditation. You could do it through physical uh, effort, breathing exercises. It's called channeling. But all it is is the same practice that God forbids in Deuteronomy. It's demonic. You open yourself up to demonic things, okay? In fact, I was probably not just possessed. I was probably multiply possessed. I wasn't just externally oppressed. I was possessed because I used to ask these things to come inside me because that's what you're supposed to do, right? And, and to speak through me and to use me and all that stuff. And so here's a trick question. What do you get when you cross demonic teachings with demonic drugs and demonic music? Hey, you get demonic activity. The first time it happened to this degree, they were already starting to appear, okay, uh, was uh, about two weeks before I got saved. And Hollywood kind of gets it right, like when a demon, an actual demon is in the room, hair goes up on the back of your neck, whatever, uh, it gets literally cold oftentimes in the room, and spiritually the atmosphere is completely changed with evil. Uh, in fact, uh, at this one particular point, uh, literally it wasn't outside, it was inside of me, I wasn't in control, that's what fueled it uh, even more was I wasn't in control of this. I, I, could I stop this? Is it ever going to stop? It just fueled the fear. In fact, I still have yet to find the appropriate English word or string of English words to describe the absolute utter terror of demonic activity. It's real. And literally, I remember at that, when it happened, it was, the only way I could describe it was I was like, in my mind, I'm walking a razor's edge. I had to watch TV this lasted for about four hours. I had to watch TV, read a book, do something. And I wasn't even really paying attention to the TV or the book. I just had to stay connected with reality. And I knew what it would be like if I were to give into this. Even as a non-Christian, this went through my head. If I were to give into this, I knew what it would be like to go insane and never come back. And so that scared me. So I tell you what, I better, better take it easy. That must have been a bad trip or something. 
right? And so I did. I kind of laid down a little bit. And of course, I'm still doing the speed and alcohol. Uh, but, you know, the other stuff, I laid off for about a week. And, of course, it went away. Things calmed down. So I thought, hey, okay, let's go back at it. And the night before I got saved, the night before I got saved, I'm at a, a party. Yeah, you're at a party, right? It's the weekend, Saturday, right? 1993. And I'm at this river party. And uh, about 7 o'clock at night, right, we're at dinner with some folks and already buzzing pretty good. And next thing you know, I'm blacked out. And next thing you know, I woke up to this sound. Mark, Mark, you're going to go to uh, Easter services? Come on. It's, uh, it's Easter. You got to go. And so I was, last thing I remember, I was at a restaurant, right? And so I surmised the guy I was partying with, oh, who, by the way, his parents were Christian. They had no idea what he was doing. Parents get involved. This is the guy I was hanging out with, one of them. And, and, and he, he was, I was like, oh, okay, I must be in Mark's bedroom. I'm on the floor. He's up here on, on his bed and stuff. And I kept knocking. He was, Mark, 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 come on. You got to go to East Services. And it, it's easier. You got to go at least today. And he's going, no, no, no. And they kept knocking. Mark, come on, come on, come on. And, and finally, he said, no, we're not going. So they finally left. So we got up, okay. And uh, I had a, you know, Sunday. Got to get to work the next day, Monday. I ha- had a smashing hangover. Usually didn't get him quite that bad. And so I thought, well, I started drinking some coffee to get rid of the headache, and, and that didn't work. So I got back in my truck, and I drove across town. I was living with my brother at the time. He was uh, uh, out of town, so I'm all by myself. And so I, I get to my apartment, and, uh, uh, and then I started, uh, I still had the headache, so I started slamming some vodka from the cupboard, thinking, you know, the hair of the dog, the bitch, it, get rid of this headache. And all of a sudden, bang! Happened again, this intense, absolute, demonic terror. This time, there was no warming up to Christianity. There wasn't like... Boy, you guys are really making a great case with these intellectual arguments. Or, hey, I'm warming up to Jesus. I can't stop thinking about Jesus. There was none of that. It's literally like God went, watch this. Watch what I'll do with this fool. <laughs> it scared me so bad this second time. Easter 1993, right? I literally just scared me after that. I literally ran to my bedroom. I was 25 at the time, all by myself. Nobody was around. I simply said in bare bold faith on my knees, I said, God, if you're real and you want this life, you can have it. I spent the last 25 years messing up and but i knew specifically from two people who did dare witness to me that's not enough i needed to specifically call upon the name of jesus christ and i did and i said jesus christ would you please forgive me of all my sins and would you please come in this life bang instantly i was delivered from the demons I was delivered from the demons. I was delivered from the drugs and the alcohol. It was instantaneous. I literally could feel the weight of the sin. I had no idea all the things I was being involved in. It literally lifted off of me. I remember the first couple days of being saved. It was like the sky was bluer. The grass was greener. It's like, whoa. I mean, new is new, man. New, it was, everything was new. It was awesome. And, uh, and, and so it was on Easter 23 years ago that I learned, you know what? The hard way. It's only through Jesus Christ you can get a life. It's only through Jesus Christ you can get a life, okay? And, uh, and here's where the abundant life kicks in. Believe it or not, I said all that to explain the text. There's your story. What does this super exceedingly abundantly over-the-top mind-blowing life look like? Well, here's where it starts. So immediately I got saved. I'm a brand-new Christian, man. I got rid of everything, right? right? Nobody was there. They didn't have to give me a sermon. It was the Holy Spirit inside of me working in me. The next 24 hours was a series of trips up and down the apartment stairs dumping everything. I got rid of all my CDs. I got rid of all my books. I got rid of anything in the past. That New Age book I was writing, got rid of it, deleted it, tore it up. Uh, the computer program I spent months and months and months and months and months on. I erased, got rid of the whole thing. I started going to church services. I'm all alone. I figured that's what you're supposed to do as a Christian. I wasn't raised in the church, right? I, I started praying because I figured that's what Christians do. 
I, 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 it, to me, it was, it was mind-blowing. It's like, okay, I can't explain everything what went on. All I know is when I cried specifically, I tried everything else. But when I cried upon Jesus Christ, man, whoa, everything's radically changed. This is awesome. And I could talk to him anytime, anywhere I go, driving, sitting, stored. Woo! And so that's what I did. I didn't know any Christianese, right? I started praying. I started going to uh, reading the Bible. Hey, that's what you're supposed to do as a Christian. And I, I found one, started reading it. And, and, and then I, I kid you, I'm about two weeks old in the Lord, and, and I'm reading the Bible before I went to bed. I closed it, and I simply said this. I said, God, I want to know more. That's it. Well, the next day, I woke up with this idea in my brain, go to Bible college. And I'm going, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> you saw the pictures. Are you kidding me? Right? I thought that everybody who went to Bible, I'm from the unchurched. I thought I was disqualified. I'm saved, praise God, but I can't go to the Bible college. Bible college, hey, I thought they were all clones of Pat Boone. He found some way to populate all the Bible colleges throughout America with his offspring, and I'm disqualified. I get, you know, you, you have to have perfect teeth and, and perfect life and be related to Pat Boone and, and wear clothes pretty much like what I wear nowadays. Uh, and I said, no, I can't, that's not me. And so it began to persist, and, and uh, uh, so I said, okay, well, fine. God, I, I, I don't pay attention to this. I don't even know if there's a Bible college in Sacramento. That's where I got saved, in California. And so I said, okay, I'll, We'll see what's going on. So I opened up the phone book, right? I saw something that said Bible school or something. So I called the number. And so I called the number and said, hey, is this a Bible college? And the lady started laughing. <laughs> and she says, no, this is vacation Bible school. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know the lingo. In fact, my sister, after I got saved, she said, you need to get a praise and worship tape. And I said, what band are they? I didn't know Christianese, I'm, right? And so, so, so she, she, when the lady stopped laughing on the phone, she goes, there's actually two in town, Capital Christian Center and Trinity Life Bible College. I says, okay, well, maybe that was you, God. Right? And so I'm praying for about a week and a week, you know, and okay, God, is it Capital, is it Trinity? Is it Capital, is it Trinity? This is a big decision. If this is really you, which one do you want me to go to? Right? And so I'm praying. At this time, I'm working at this office supply place, and, and every week they'd ship this 52-footer of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of boxes of supply, and that was one of my jobs to unload the semi, right? It'd take hours to do, and you just unload them with the, what you can with the forklift, and then you got the pallet jack, and you got these carts, and you're loading on. And so I'm, and, and this whole container, about 52-foot container, we're unloading hundreds and hundreds of boxes. So I finally get to the very back of the container, the 52-footer, uh, the very last pallet and the very last batch of boxes. I'm pulling out on the very last cart full of the last boxes all stacked up. I'm coming over the lid, okay, of the uh, dock there, and it wiggled enough to just make the very last batch of boxes fall over. Well, the very last batch of boxes in the very back of the container, you say that five times real fast, right? Uh, uh, at the very bottom box, at the very back, was hanging this. I still have it. And I looked at it, and if you could see it, it's, it's a picture of a pastor. And I'm going, because, you know, I'm praying for a week. Which is it, God? Capital? Trinity? Capital? So I open up its little pamphlet explaining his ministry, and all of a sudden my eyes go on this, these words. It says, quote, Pat is a graduate of Trinity College. And I go, okay, God, I'm going to Trinity. <laughs> right? And uh, so eight weeks after I'm saved, I'm in Bible college, right? And uh, the only way I survived the first semester, I'm going to point out to you guys my very good friend. And my very good friend has a name, and his name is Books of the Bible. 
right? Because I knew nothing. I didn't know anything Jonah and the whale story. I don't think anybody had any idea how brand spanking new of a Christian I was. And so basically the professors would be there and they'd be calling, and as the book of Romans turned to there, so I'm, Romans, what? And I kid you not, by the time I'd find it, he's off on the nether one. Well, let's go over here. I, how many times did I fall for the book of second opinions? I looked for it. How many times did the book of Hezekiah? Well, it sounds biblical. I can't find it. Right? I, feel, I didn't know nothing, right? And so that's how I survived uh, in Bible college. But I just wanted to know more. I didn't know God was going to do all the stuff that he's doing today. And then I soon found out that Trinity Life uh, Bible College, uh, which is now called Epic, by the way, Bible College. But anyway, Trinity Life Bible College, I learned it has a surname. And it's also known apparently as Trinity Life Bridal College because that's where I got me a wife. <laughs> it was cool. It's kind of like a Kind of like an offset to tuition or something, I don't know. And so uh, in no time at all, uh, Brandy and I, we were enjoying God's abundant blessings of being married because, you know, God's ways, marriage is, is a blessing. But I don't know if this ever happened to you guys, but that first year of marriage, okay, as Christians, whoo, it was rough. Okay, I mean rough. And uh, because we were both uh, stubborn and selfish and we just refused to serve each other in love. Kind of like this couple. This is where we were at. Listen to this. This husband, uh, woman, they went to the doctor's office for the husband. He was ill and and so the woman went with her husband to the doctor's office, and after the checkup, the doctor called the wife in to his office alone, just the wife. And he says, ma'am, your husband is suffering from a very severe disease, combined with horrible stress. And if you don't do the following, your husband will surely die. So here's what you do. Each morning, fix him a healthy breakfast. Be pleasant and, and make sure he's in a good mood. And, and for lunch, make him a nutritious meal that he could take with him to work. And for dinner, prepare an especially nice meal for him. And don't burden him with chores because this could further his stress. Men, how many guys want this disease right now? <laughs> he says, oh, but that's not all. You also got to do this. Don't discuss your problems with him because that's going to make his stress worse. And try to relax your husband in the evening by giving him plenty of back rubs and encourage him to watch some type of team sporting event on TV. And most importantly, satisfy his every whim. And ma'am, if you can do this for the next mm, 10 months to a year, I think your husband's going to regain his health. And so on the way home, the husband naturally asks his wife. He says, well, honey, what did the doctor say? And the wife simply responded, you're going to die. <laughs> and uh i was you know a little bit like us back then it was kind of rough all right and then don't misunderstand we had lots of laughter right i don't know if you've been there it's just that hideous insane laughter when you're going after each other's throats <laughs> yeah and uh, uh but it, it, it in fact folks it was a rough time and and not only with the mullet pictures but i was able to find some pictures you know back then it, 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 the stress showed on her faces. In fact, you can see here clearly that uh, it was uh, Brandy. She's severely depressed. Uh, apparently, I need some denture work or something uh, going on there. But anyway, but, but hey, we, we, that's, that's the issue, isn't it, with anything in life? We started to learn to do marriage God's way. And things begin to lighten up and, and that we're different by God's design. We're different, but our differences are not meant to conflict. They're meant to complement each other. And, and so we begin to learn the art of a successful Christian marriage. And, and once Brandy and I uh, learn to love and accept each other like we're supposed to do, okay, uh, I'm proud to say, folks, it didn't take long. Uh, our countenances changed. We got a happy marriage, as you can see there. Uh, in fact, I'm even told there's a spillover effect. You know, <clears throat> happy marriages produce happy children. We love cows in this household. Uh, so we can sit there with the kids. And uh, even though that first year was painful, believe it or not, remember the study we went through called A Marriage Built to Last Year? You guys, I don't know if you realize that, that was built off our pain. That study, A Marriage Built to Last, we did here, was built off our pain. Learning the hard way, do marriage God's way. And uh, what's interesting is just in the last couple months, uh, that actually got picked up for a book 
uh, by Bible Belt Publishing in Oklahoma City, and they've now produced it, A Marriage Built to Last, 11 Steps to Building a Lasting Marriage. And so that's been a privilege to get to share <clears throat> even beyond sunrise. Uh, believe it or not, I've actually written uh, many other books on theology, Christian living, apologetics, devotional, uh, spiritual warfare. Uh, just uh, recently found out that the same publisher is picking up. Remember our, our giant final countdown study, the 50-parter? They're picking that one up too. Even the videos are transcribed that were shared, and that's going to hopefully be put out as a resource here pretty soon. Uh, and then uh, I think it was last month doing some radio interviews on our dinosaur study. Remember that? Uh, dinosaurs in the Bible? Well, they wanted that too, and so now they're going to put together uh, our Witness to Creation study later this year in a book as well. Uh, but anyway, so I, I started pastoring before I graduated from Bible college. And upon uh, uh, graduation, I continued to pastor there for a couple more years in Sacramento. Uh, I took a sabbatical from that uh, ministry, and I went to seminary. Uh, had two kids. Let me back up. My wife had two kids, okay, because I'm still mentally scarred from that event, just watching it. <laughs> anyway, so, wow. Anyway, so then I pastored another church in Northern California after a seminary for several years, and I pastored another one in New York uh, for about five years, and it was during those two pastors that God opened up a, uh, a worldwide teaching ministry. I hadn't planned on it, it just happened, and uh, it's a global teaching ministry called Get a Life Ministries, getalifemedia.com, that as we saw in our Vision Sunday, now is up to 218 different countries uh, sharing the gospel around the world. Uh, we get testimonies uh, every day, uh, virtually with phone, email, you name it, of uh, Christians either being blessed or the lost being saved around the world. Uh, while I was a pastor there on the East Coast, uh, we released a full-length Christian film called Standing Firm about how God can make beauty out of ashes, and many of you uh, have seen that movie uh, as well. The church stuff, I don't want to hear about it anymore. I don't want to hear about what pastor talked about last Sunday. Ted. And you're praying... In your Bible, do it when I'm not around. I'm done. I'm done. Jen tried to tell me about Jesus a long time ago. The example was right in front of me. My wife and my son. Nothing goes to waste. God is the only one who can make beauty out of ashes. And now because of that movie, more people are getting saved, lives are being changed around the world. And then if that wasn't cool enough, I kid you not, I'm there still pastoring in New York, and out of the blue, I get this phone call from this guy. His name's John Gibson. Hi, John. How you doing there? And uh, so he calls me up out of the blue, and he says, hey, our uh, search committee wants to talk with you. And uh, so long story short, I spoke there at that church, and believe it or not, they actually voted me in. Maybe you've heard of the church. It's called Sunrise Baptist Church. It's in Las Vegas. And uh, so that's how we got there. Uh, and then now we're looking at making another movie here called The Reunion. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all Christians. You are all one in Christ. Hey, keep your trash on your own side of the fence. Hey, who you calling trash, Ringo? Vete aquí, huevos coloridos. You want me to talk to him, or you want to give it a shot, old man? Who you calling an old man? I still got a little game left in me. Crack him in 15 minutes or less, 
and dinner's on me. Real dinner this time, not some drive-through chicken joint. Deal. We need a revival. Hey, what's up? I'm walking, that's what's up. Ooh, the girl's quick, I like that. The girl's name is Sarah. What were you doing with that boy? I told you not to hang around with those people. They're nothing but trouble. You wanna date the daughter of a racist man? What are you doing with a girl like that? We stick to our own kind, our own raza. Stay away from my daughter! You don't even know who he is. What are you people doing? This is a church. Are you even a Christian? Sir, my mom's saved and my dad's a deacon and I've been going to church ever since I was a little kid. That doesn't make you a Christian. If you can't stop playing church instead of being the church, then maybe it's time you get out of the church. You're telling me you've been going behind my back talking to those Mexicans? Those are our neighbors. Our fence isn't as tall as your racism. Why are you tossing this at me? I know what the Bible says. Obviously you don't, or else you would have remembered it says, love your neighbor as yourself. You've got to save me. Ramon, you're asking me to save you, but there's only one person that can do that, and his name is Jesus. What I'm about to preach, you will never remember. But what you have just seen, you will never forget. And uh, now even more people are getting saved, more lives being changed uh, right here in Las Vegas, around the world. And then this one was kind of surprised. When we got here in Vegas, all of a sudden, I didn't plan on doing anything of this. Now this is going nuts. We started doing documentaries, okay? We've already completed uh, a full-length uh, uh, 10-hour documentary on UFOs, The Great Last Days of Deception. We shot it outside of Area 51, not too far from here in Vegas. And then we ran with another one called RFID, Man's Greatest Invention, Mark of the Beast. We just finished up another huge project called Attack of the Drones, Skynet is Coming. The primitive forms of artificial intelligence we already had had proved very useful. But I think the development of full artificial intelligence could spell the end of the human race. I believe that humanity is on the cusp of the most important technological, societal revolution that's ever occurred. And that's when we got to the point where the machines that we build outpace us in every respect. Is AI, artificial intelligence, real? Who's pushing for it? How long have they been working on it? And who's behind it and paying for it? I don't mean that they're better calculators. I don't mean that they're better at searching. I mean everything. And I think that we're very close. Elon Musk and Stephen Hawking are among some of the scientists who have signed a letter urging researchers to calm down with artificial intelligence. They argue that artificial intelligence and specifically autonomous weapons could lead to the destruction of society as a whole. Folks, this is the foundation 
of a Skynet scenario. We are watching it being formed before our very eyes. The United Nations began an unusual meeting today in Geneva, a discussion about killer robots. And even though they don't exist yet, the technology for lethal autonomous weapon systems are certainly headed in that direction. And so that's the question. Are we getting close to developing a true artificial intelligence that can actually hijack this new killer global drone technology on the whole planet and create a real live Skynet scenario? Yes. Once humans develop artificial intelligence, it will take off on its own and redesign itself at an ever-increasing rate. And if you haven't seen that, that's our latest one. And then we're working on, believe it or not, I guess I'll spill the beans to you guys. Behind the scenes, we're working on an intense, in-depth study on the rapture. Uh, in the studio as we speak. So we're looking forward to that. Lord willing, we're going to finish up uh, the teaser to uh, Attack of the Drones with another one called the Google Mind. There's other ones after that. And now because of all this, you stir all this together. I'm being asked to speak in various places uh, around the world, United States and Canada. Got radio interviews coming out of my ears. Uh, TV interviews. Just got back from another one uh, this week. And uh, now God's even opened up the door to Europe to share the gospel there. Uh, just recently got on the plate. Uh, Lord willing, this fall, we get to preach the gospel in Scotland. And then, uh, Lord willing, uh, next summer we're going uh, to the UK. And uh, hey, I know sometimes you get Fargo, North Dakota, to, you know, North Dakota. Sometimes you get Europe. I don't know. But anyway, here's the whole point. Don't misunderstand me. I am not boasting in me at all, because I remember where I came from. I'm boasting in Jesus Christ. For a former heavy metal headbanger, drug addict, sexual moral maelstrom was pig guy, I'd say Jesus didn't just give me a life. He didn't just give me a full one. He gave me a super exceedingly abundantly mind-blowing abundant life. That's what he's talking about in our text. And please, I'm not boasting to me. I think the message, I'm hoping through a story format like Jesus did with the parable today. Hopefully the message is clear. Hello, if God can save me, he can save anyone. Okay? Two, if God can forgive me of everything I've done, he could forgive any of us of anything we've done. And three, if God can use me in spite of me even today, because I'm not perfect, hello, he could use any one of us. That's why it's called the gospel, which means good news. This is why we're here today. This is what Resurrection Day is supposed to be about as Christians. Jesus Christ died on the cross, but he rose again from the grave to give this kind of life to any who would ask. And I'm not saying if you come to Jesus today to get a life, he's going to have you run off to Bible college and seminary and become a pastor like me. Not that that's a bad thing. I'm not saying that that's necessarily what he has in mind for you. But I, what I will tell you is what he's got in mind for all of us is simply this, a clean slate. You get that? An absolutely wiped clean, 100% slate. An endless supply of second chances, a sure direction and purpose in life, the ability, listen, to no longer be afraid of death. And that hole in your heart? <sighs> Finally, it's filled. Because the hole in your heart is a God-shaped void that only God can fill. And it's the same offer that Jesus makes to everyone. Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus said, stop going into the world. The world's not going to have the answers. And that's why he says, Matthew 16, 25 through 26, for whoever wishes to save his life, you're going to lose it. 
But if you lose your life for his sake, you're going to find it. What will it profit if you gain the whole world, do all the things the world says? But in the end, you lose your soul. Please don't be like me. Please don't be a victim of the biggest blooper of all. Stop running as I did. Don't wait 25 years to get a life from Jesus Christ. Don't wait another day. You will not find life in the things of this world. I tried every last stinking one of them. You're not going to find it in drugs, money, pleasure, power, relationships, not even religion. Only God through Jesus Christ can fill that hole. This is the message of Resurrection Day. Come to Jesus today and get a life. Just cry out. Give me Jesus. In the morning when I rise In the morning when I rise In the morning when I rise Give me Jesus Give me Jesus Give me Jesus, you can have all this world, but give me Jesus. And when I
Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem.
Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. 
thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.